Thank you so much, Emily and Brother Wes and choir and orchestra. What an incredible message for us to proclaim that the blood of Jesus is sufficient for all of our sin. You know, a lot of churches these days aren't talking about the blood of Jesus. They're not talking about the, the sacrifice that he made. It's, it's not politically correct to, to talk about such matters in sophisticated company, but I stake my claim on the blood of Jesus shed for me. Amen? It's a bloody cross. And, amen. It is only by a bloody cross and an empty tomb that you and I have hope today. That is our hope. I want to invite your attention to the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. I realize that we're studying chronologically through the Bible this year. We're focused on reading the book. That is our focus. Some of you have been with us. Some of you may not have. We started a journey in January walking through the Bible chronologically from Genesis to heaven. We're going to walk through uh, together on Wednesdays. We're looking at the redemptive thread of God, how the whole story of the Bible comes together. But here in this first uh, Sunday, as we focus on the book of Numbers, I think it would be appropriate for, it, appropriate for us to look together to a New Testament reminder of what was going on in the book of Numbers. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to look together there and see something very, very interesting. I, I think that you will see application that fits for us. The Apostle Paul writes to the believers at Corinth these words. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them. And all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. And all of them ate the same spiritual food. And all of them drank the same spiritual water for they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them and that rock was Christ yet God was not pleased with most of them and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness these things happened as what help me out a warning to who a warning to us so that we would not crave evil as they did or worship idols as some of them did as the scriptures say, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry and we must not gauge, engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Nor should we put Christ to the test as some of them did and then died from snake bites. In verse 10, and don't grumble as some of them did and they were destroyed by the angel of death. These things happened to them as examples for who? For us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. Suppose, if you will, with me, that the Lord summoned Satan into his very presence. We know that Satan is a defeated foe. We know that God is eternal and is not a created being because of his eternality. He always has been, always will be. And that's why when he said to Moses, when Moses asked, who should I say is going uh, to be the authority, God said, I am. 
He always has been, always is, and always will be the eternal God. But Satan is a created foe, and he is on a short leash. But if you will, in, in your sanctified imagination, just imagine that God summoned Satan into his presence and said to him, Satan, I'm going to shorten the leash of all of the tactics of all of the schemes, of all of the approaches that you take to tempting my beloved, my creation. I'm going to limit it to one. If Satan only had one tool in all of his arsenal, in all of his toolbox, what do you think it would be? Now, I want you to know right off the bat, I don't have the definitive answer. I can't say that. That has not happened. Satan, in a myriad of ways, does all that he can to steal, kill, and destroy. His job as the deceiver and the great liar and the accuser of the brethren is this, to keep you away from God. You see, if, if I, like a, a terrorist organization or a gang, wanted to hurt someone, I would go after those that they love. Satan knows that he cannot defeat God. He has already been defeated by the bloodshed on Calvary's cross, but he will go after the very heart of God through the people that God has created. And he does so by keeping them, if possible, away from God so that they will be cut off from the source of life and they will receive the wages of their sin, which is death. But if someone trusts Christ and they uh, pass from death to life, if they come alive in Jesus, then his desire at that point as the accuser of the brethren is to begin to point them to a place where they will not trust the Lord, where they will not walk in fellowship. And he wants to do all he can to destroy your testimony. He will puff you up so that he can cut you down. And so that Jesus might, in the eyes of those around, get a black eye. So what would you say if you were to say Satan was only given one tool? There was only one thing that he could lead you away or astray by and through. What would you say? This is audience participation time. Deception. What else? Doubt. This morning I asked a group of deacons, one of them said if he had one tool in his toolbox, perhaps it would be half truth. I thought that was good. As, as close to the truth as I can and yet lead you away. I want to give you one that I think is deeper. And it, it's not just this one tool, but it's a mindset that comes behind it. And it came directly out of that passage, and it was established firmly in the book of Numbers, actually in Exodus and then in Numbers. And it's that sin of murmuring. Let that wash over for you for a moment. Pastor, you really believe that the sin of murmuring is the, 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 the greatest thing possible that Satan could use against us? Yes, I do. And here's why, because I have seen murmuring destroy ministries. I've seen murmuring rip churches apart. I've seen murmuring among the people of God destroy the witness and testimony of pastors and others. When rumors started about someone and it destroyed their credibility and their livelihood even, I've seen it in the community, murmuring be the thing that keeps people away from church. Murmuring can be... One of the most devastating things in the hands of Satan. And we see here in 1 Corinthians something so significant that God would write it down. He said, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to forget what they did in the wilderness. And he says, do not follow them. He said twice, I'm writing this as a warning and as an example 
for us. We need to hear that. Who is the warning and the example for? Say it one more time. You can personalize that and say it's for me. See, when you say it's for us, most of you are saying, yeah, it's for them. But it's for us. And he said, do not murmur, do not grumble. And I want us to unpack this this morning and look at why it is so significant in the eyes of God that murmuring would be something that we would struggle with and would be so deadly and so dangerous. Someone has said this, that success is defined as getting what you want. And happiness is wanting what you get. You see, this is a a hard issue of contentment. It's a hard issue of saying, what I have is enough. Now, I don't want to divorce that from our relationship to God. I want us to look at this from the perspective of being a believer because he's talking about the people of God in the wilderness and he's writing to the believers at Corinth and he's writing to the believers at Hardy Street Baptist Church. He's saying this is a warning for us. And so as we look at this together, I want us to understand really there's this juxtaposition. There is this this, uh opposing mindset of getting what you want and wanting what you get. And we confuse these two often. God's people of old did. The Israelites were certainly successful in getting what they wanted. They were delivered from slavery in Egypt. And they were given manna from heaven. They were given quail to feed them. They were given water from a rock that Moses spoke to and struck. It's amazing to think about that. They were downright miserable, though, in that they did not want all that they got. You see, they lost the familiar. They had a strange new way of life in the wilderness and the disappearance of stability and security, even though enslaved in Egypt. Someone said it this way, in Egypt, at least the trains ran on time. In the wilderness, there were no trains. Someone said it this way, at least in Egypt, they had Chick-fil-A. Here in the wilderness, they had to stomach some strange food. So intent had God's people become on wanting what they wanted that they lost sight of what they needed. And more importantly and more dangerously, they lost sight of what God had given. And they began to grumble. And before you and I pick up too many stones and throw at those that are in the wilderness, aren't we a lot like this? Some of us are so used to getting what we want that after we get everything we want, sometimes we don't want what we've got. And we live a life that is so unfulfilled because the stuff around us will never bring fulfillment. We long so deeply to fall in love younger in our lives and we long to be married and then we long to have a nice job and a a nice home and we long to have a couple of kids and a good car and an occasional vacation And, and then we got all of those things and I want to tell you that pastors and counselors offices are filled day after day after day with people who are unfulfilled, unfulfilled wives and unhappy husbands. They got everything that they wanted, but they did not want what they got. And so it is with many of us. And as we look together to the scriptures and begin to see this danger that God warned the people against, maybe, just maybe, it will be a mirror right in front of our own faces, reflecting our own hearts of discontentment and unbelief. 
What I want to do today is very simply begin to show you the course of murmuring. And I want to talk together. We'll get to these in a moment. But I want us to see the course of murmuring. And we're going to look together at the cause of murmuring. I want us to look at the consequences and certainly and hopefully the cure. That, that really is the, the, the outline, if you will. And we'll look at these together. Turn with me, if you will, to Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11. As we look there, we are looking back now at that which uh, the Apostle Paul has spoken to the Corinthian church about. Numbers chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. And they won't be on the screen, so follow along. Soon the people began to complain about their hardship. Isn't that interesting? Let me just pull over. What kind of hardship did they face in Egypt? They were driven by harsh and brutal taskmasters masters, that at the whip required them to make bricks without straw. They built Literally, the, the pyramids and the cities of Egypt were built on the backs of these Hebrew slaves. And yet now, in the wilderness, after being delivered, having uh, food and provision directly from the hand of God, coming out of heaven every single day, the Bible says that they began to complain about their hardships. It's interesting to me, the Bible says that in their wilderness sojourning, that their shoes never wore out. And they were fed day by day. They had everything that they needed in that sense. And they were on their way to the promised land. And the hardship of the wilderness actually was their own fault because they didn't directly enter because of their own sinfulness. How easy is it for us to blame God for things that go in ways that we don't expect or don't desire. And yet oftentimes the, the issue doesn't belong to God. It's our own. Well, as we continue, soon the people began to complain about their hardship, and the Lord heard everything they said. We ought to just pause for a moment there. You know, there was a place in the lives of the, uh, uh, the disciples as they followed along with Jesus, and Jesus knew the intent of their thoughts. Can I just say something? We ought to be pretty careful about what we think in the presence of Jesus. Amen. Let, let me say that again. We ought to be careful what we think in the presence of Jesus. When are we not in the presence of Jesus? That just simply means we better be careful what we think. But we ought to be careful what we say because they grumbled. And the Bible says that God heard every word that they said. Now, as we look at that, look at the next words. Then the Lord's anger blazed against them. And he sent a fire to rage among them. Some of the people in the outskirts of the camp were destroyed by the flames. Now, look at verse 2. Then the people screamed to Moses for help. And when he prayed to the Lord, the fire stopped. After that, the area was known as Tabara, which means the place of burning. Because the fire of the Lord had burned against them there. Look down at verse 10. Moses heard all the family standing in the doorways of their tents. And what were they doing? Whining. And the Lord became extremely angry. Moses was also very aggravated. And Moses said to the Lord, why are you treating me, your servant, so harshly? Have mercy on me. What did I do to deserve the burden of all of these people? Did I give birth to them? Did I bring them into the world? Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms like a mother carries a nursing baby? 
How can I carry them to the land you swore to give to their ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? They keep whining to me saying, give us meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. If this is how you intend to treat me, then just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. We'll stop there. In your reading, as you read on, you know that God would send a great wind that would bring quail and feed them meat, give them exactly what they wanted, and then they would find themselves gorged with it and stuffed with it. He said, I'm going to give you so much quail that you will literally gag on it. You will get to the point where you say, time out, I'm tapping out, I want no more quail. Sometimes when we get what we want, we don't want what we get. There was a great theologian years ago who said it this way. His name was Garth Brooks. He said, sometimes I thank God for what? Unanswered prayers. Now, some of you are going to start singing from here on out. I hope that I did not plant that seed. But he said, there are often things that I prayed for not knowing the full scope of God's provision and love and grace and all of the things that he wanted that are better than anything I could ever want. The Bible says that God is able through Christ and in Christ to do immeasurably more than we could ask or think or imagine. So if you're asking for this, God wants to give you this. One of my favorite preacher stories of all time came from the world of golf. I'm not a golfer, but I understand that at one point in time, Arnold Palmer was invited uh, to go to the nation of Saudi Arabia when it was closed, and he spent time with a sheikh there in Saudi Arabia. And in this discourse of learning and teaching about golf and talking about culture, he was given the right to ask for one gift. The sheikh asked Arnold Palmer, what would you like? And he said, well, just maybe some token gift. I I would like a golf club. And the idea in his mind was that it probably is going to be gold-plated because it comes from this sheik who had this opulent palace. And some days later, after he returned to the United States, a certified letter came in the mail with a deed of trust to a 300-acre golf club. Sometimes when we ask for one thing, We lose sight of the fact that God has something entirely different. And the issue in our lives is that we come to a place of grumbling against that which God has given, not knowing that God has our best interest at heart. We grumble often and say, why God am I suffering in this way? And we lose sight of the fact that his very son suffered on our behalf. He understands your suffering. Now, to give you just a little more background, we're not going to turn there, but in Exodus 15, God has just delivered the people through the Red Sea. And in this deliverance, when they finish, I want you to imagine with me, if you will, we have walked two million people on dry ground, perhaps miles through this crossing. It could have been anywhere from five to about 13, 14 miles that they crossed the Red Sea and they didn't walk in the mud they walked on dry ground and the Bible says that the water was deep enough some might try to explain it away as a uh, as just a low point in the river or a low season of water but there was enough water to drown an entire army of chariots of the leaders of Egypt And they're on the other side, and they've experienced deliverance, and perhaps there are artifacts of Egyptian chariots washing up on the shore. Maybe there are dead Egyptians washing up on the shore. I mean, I don't want you to lose sight of the the, the stark reality of what's just happened. And Moses begins to sing a song. 
It is the best of my understanding, the first song in all of Scripture, Brother Wes. Moses sings the song of salvation. You can go back there and look at it in Exodus 15 sometime. He sings the song of deliverance. But it's almost immediately in that same chapter that we see two things emerge. It's the first mention of a song, but it's also in that chapter, the very first mention of bitterness and the very first mention of murmuring. Kind of interesting to me that we would go from praise to grumbling. We would go from praise and adoration and glory to grumbling. Why? Why would the first mention of a song and bitterness be so close together? Here's why. Everybody lean in real close. Because just as fast as we can stand up and raise our hands and shout hallelujah, just that fast, we can turn in our hearts toward a place of discontentment and grumble. I, I've watched it. Some of us, I'll, I'll be us, some of us, can walk out of a service before the amen is almost completely stopped ringing through the sanctuary and we're fussing about the temperature of the sanctuary or the tempo of the song or the song that we sang that was familiar or not or that we stood up too much or we sat down too much or we complain about the preacher's hair. Let me just take that one off the table. You can't complain about that one. But we leave this place and we grumble and you lose your blessing in the parking lot. Somebody cut you off out there. They took my place. They took my seat. It was too hot. It was too cold. It was too loud. It wasn't loud enough. I couldn't hear anything. And we grumble and we gripe and we complain. And in three different chapters here in Scripture, in Exodus 15, 16, and 17, we see the pattern develop. And in Numbers 11 and in 1 Corinthians 10, we, get, we see God's response. God says, don't do it. And God's anger blazed against them. Do you have a critical spirit? Do you have a murmuring spirit? Do you have a grumbling spirit? I, I, I just have to confess, part of my life and my livelihood is that I talk. So I talk a lot. Some of you say amen to that. I, don't say it. But it's easy for me in conversations if I'm not careful to talk about people and not to them. That has to stop. We need to continually focus on grinding that to a halt. I don't need to ever talk about someone. I don't need to say something about someone that I would not say to that person. And we need to be that way as a church family. The people of God were grumbling. Now, I want us to see the course, if you will, of grumbling. As we begin to see the, the course of grumbling, the first thing is we begin to question. If we were looking back to Exodus 15, they began to question God. God, why have you let us out here so that we'll die? And they came to the place where the water was bitter. And they questioned that. And they became bitter. It's interesting. They began strong. Many Christians begin strong. And over the course of time, they become bitter. Why? Because they get used to manna. You come in this place. Brother West said it so well. We sing songs. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus and Nazarene. And some of you don't stand amazed. You sit amused. Yeah, sing that verse. I sit amused in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. The course is that we begin to question God. God, why have you done this? Why have you led me in this place? Maybe God really isn't all that he's cracked up to be. Maybe God isn't concerned about me or listening to me or he, he doesn't know my address right now. He doesn't know where I am. He's forgotten me. And some of you walked into this place and you're right on the verge of mumbling or murmuring or grumbling because you're beginning to question the goodness of God. 
Now, in a moment, we'll see the, the reason for this. But as we look at the course, we go from questioning, ultimately, to beginning to compare. You see, if we go to Exodus 16 or 17, they say, well, at least in Egypt, we had pots of meat. And here in Numbers 11, same thing. Have you brought us out here to die? We had food there. Yeah, but you also had a whip on your back. You also had a taskmaster. You also had no freedom. And so we begin to question God, and then we begin to cultivate a habit of mind, a, a positional flaw that displeases God. Why would you say, Scott, that murmuring would be such a big deal? Because it is a positional attitude toward God, that we question Him, and it clouds over our mind, and it hinders God's presence in our midst, because as we grumble and as we complain, God wants no part of that. He tells us to come into His presence with thankful hearts. Grumbling hearts cannot be grateful. There's no room for grumbling and gratitude in the same heart. If I'm complaining about what I don't have or fussing about the things that I do have, saying that they're not right for me, then I'm not grateful for what God has given me. I've lost sight of the provision. I've lost sight of the goodness. I've lost sight of the plan and the providence and the protection and all that God has done for me. Does that make sense to anybody here? And I hope what I'm able to accomplish for the next few moments and through this message is that we as a people would reacclimate, we would retune, we would fine-tune, if you will, our hearts. We would recalibrate gratitude. As we study these Old Testament passages, we see that those people were just like us. They had the provision of God, and sadly, we have even more. We have the Word of God. We have the Spirit of God indwelling our hearts, and yet we turn from those things. Well, we move from this place of questioning to comparing what God has done to what is available. And then we chide. The Bible says they chided Moses. They argued. They fussed. And ultimately, we criticize. We criticize. This happens all the way down the line. When we come to this place of criticism, Adam said it. God, it was that woman you gave me. She said it was the serpent, it was his fault, and they grumble, and they're criticizing God. God, I'm in the mess that I'm in because you did it. Why are they in the wilderness? Because of their own choices. And some of us are so quick to go through these steps where we question God, and then we begin to compare and say, well, is it really worth it to do this or this? Is it really worth it to obey Him? And we move away, and we begin to argue, even in our own minds, and ultimately, we come to a place where we criticize God. Let me give you the cause, if you will, of murmuring. The cause. I want you to write this sentence down, and we're going to say it together. It's the unexpressed assumption that we're worthy. The unexpressed assumption that we're worthy. Say that with me. The unexpressed assumption that we're worthy. You know what grumbling and murmuring says? God owes me something. Does God owe you anything? God gave you exactly what you didn't deserve, and that's called grace. You need to understand and realize that God's activity toward you is always gracious. That question came up last week in Sunday school. It came up this week in several conversations. The people of God in that day were only and always saved by the grace of God. We are saved by grace through faith. Do you know that? 
You are not saved by your faith. If your faith is what saves you, then it would be how much you could muster up. And you can never please God. The Bible says there is none righteous. No, not one. But when you truly understand this, that I'm saved by His grace, it is gracious that God even let the people come into His presence through the tabernacle. That's grace. He didn't have to. He could have wiped out the whole sorry, evil lot of them and the whole sorry, evil lot of us. And they grumbled and said, God owes us something. You see, I think a lot of Christians come to this place where they become critical and negative because they think in some self-righteous way that God owes them something or the church owes them something. You know, the, the, the place where I come in my heart and life where I realize that everything that I have is because of God's grace, when I do that, it changes my perspective on everything else. I, I don't deserve heaven. And so I just fall to my knees and thank God that I have the privilege of going there, the promise of going there. I, I don't deserve forgiveness, but I fall to my knees and just thank a holy and forgiving and gracious God that he would forgive me. You see, the, the cause of my grumbling, my murmuring is this. I am in some way self-righteously not believing the truth. Murmuring starts with unbelief, and that's what Satan planted in Adam and Eve, and I believe that's why it's the number one tool. He'll plant a mindset that God really doesn't know best. Can I tell you today, dear brothers and sisters, God knows what's best for you. God has a perfect plan for you. And when you find yourself in a difficult spot, when there's more month at the end of the money, and when there's more questions than there are answers, trust Him. Because He knows what you need, and He knows where you are. And when He finds you in a place, of, or when you find yourself in a place of difficulty, don't question God. You can ask why. That's not bad, but do so in faith. God, I don't fully understand this, but I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to thank you for what you've already done in my life, and I'm not going to grumble, and I'm not going to complain, and I'm not going to murmur. I said this this morning in our Sunday school class, I believe with all of my heart we would take sin more seriously if the wages of sin were payable on transaction date. God's heart blazed with fire against them and he killed a bunch of them. Somebody might look and say, God seems capricious. No, Allah is capricious. The idea that we don't know him, can't know him, back and forth. Faith is capricious. The God of the Bible, Yahweh, is not. He has always stood for holiness. And anytime he does anything that is less than judging you, it is because of his grace. It's because Jesus Christ, as a lightning rod of God, took the penalty of your sin upon himself. God's gracious. But see, when we come to this place of assuming that we're worthy, something goes bad, and you start going, what did I do to deserve this? That's a wrong attitude. When something goes bad in my life and I say, why is this happening to me? What have I done? It's an assumption that I deserve only good. Should I only accept good from the Lord's hand and not bad? The Bible says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. There are times that I will face difficulty in this fallen, broken world. But when I do, I can thank God because he has graciously provided a way. That would have been a great place for an amen. When things go wrong, when your heart gets broken, when you don't understand, when tragedy strikes, when difficulty comes, don't complain about it. 
And I'm talking about the big stuff, and we can't even get over complaining about the little stuff. The old adage, and I don't mean to just compare, but the old adage is I complained about my shoes until I saw the man with no feet. Can I, can I just pull over and fuss a little bit as the pastor? I'm not murmuring. If we're complaining about the menu that we serve on Wednesdays or we're complaining about the menu that we serve on Sundays in worship, then we've got a heart problem. Hello? If we grumble and complain and gripe and murmur, we're stirring up dissension against the holiness of God and the provision of God, and we better stop. Thank you. We better stop. Because the Bible says that God heard everything they said. You see, the cause is that we've lost sight of grace. When I walk as a a child of grace and a recipient of grace, it changes everything. Think about it. I, I know we, I don't want to belabor the point in the time, but if you plant a crop and it grows, you poke your chest out and say, I'm a pretty good farmer. It only grew because God made it grow, right? But we lose sight of that. That's God's grace. Everything that we do must be against that backdrop. You get mad at God, I've got a plan for you. Just show him up. Stop breathing his air. God, you're not giving me a fair shake. Watch this. <gasps> See how that works for you. You need him. Would you agree? And you need him not only in this life. You need him in the life to come. If you've never trusted Jesus and you have grumbled, or sadly, if you've never trusted Jesus because you came to church and all you heard were people grumbling, that's not the plan of God. He warned against it. Don't let them stand in the way of you trusting His grace today. Let, let's continue very quickly and we'll move through this. I want you to see, murmuring is saying God owes us something and hasn't paid up. It's unbelief. And the consequences of murmuring, the consequences of murmuring, Murmuring, uh, murmuring spirits quick to jump to the wrong conclusion. It's born in the context of a bad report, and it creates an atmosphere of murmuring. It leads to self-pity because we believe we've been mistreated. We feel sorry for ourselves. We focus on how they've been misused or let down. Murmuring thrives in an atmosphere of fear. And when we're fearful or we don't understand something, we just complain about it. And when we do, that's not of faith. And the Bible says anything that is not of faith is what? Sin. Sin. Criticism and complaining lead to discontentness. By the end of this episode, Israel's dissatisfied with their God-given lot in life. Let me say this. Majority reports are not always trustworthy. The spies go into the land and they say it's everything God said it would be. Yeah, but there were giants in the land. Yeah, but there are numerous people. Yeah, they had fortified walled cities. And the two spies are saying, wait a minute, listen to us. God said it would be this way and it was. And they grumbled and the Bible says their hearts melted in fear because they felt like they were grasshoppers in the size of these giants. And the two spies that saw this through the eyes of grace said those giants look like grasshoppers compared to our God. The giants of your life ought to be compared to your God, not your own abilities. 
What's the cure for murmuring? What is the cure? The cure is faith. The cure is gratitude. Grateful faith. It's interesting. We didn't read on down something that happened to them. They found themselves dying at a place fittingly called the graves of craving. If you read that last night, Kibroth Hatavet, it means the graves of gluttony. They died there. The, the issue is less than nothing less than our fulfillment, our happiness and satisfaction. When we place it anywhere else but in Christ, we will be disappointed and we will be prone to murmuring. I don't want this to be a murmuring church. Amen? I don't want to be a murmuring pastor. I don't want us to have a murmuring staff or deacons. I don't want us to be a, a grumbling people who are ungrateful for the gifts and the grace of God. And so the cure for all of this is faith. You see, if your heart is at a place where you don't like your lot in life, the cure is the same. Today, if you have struggled to put the broken pieces of your life into a context that makes sense, trust Jesus Christ. Place your faith in Him and when you do, He'll begin to turn your circumstance around. Not that he changes the circumstance, but he changes the attitude toward the circumstance. And I walk in victory. And I walk in power. And I walk in gratitude. And I walk by faith and not by sight. If I walk by sight, everything can be cruddy. I'll never forget this illustration. A man got Limburger cheese stuck on his upper lip. He was eating a sandwich. And he started looking around. And he said, this room stinks. And he walked to the next room and he said, this whole house stinks. He walked outside and this whole world stinks. Some of you have got an upper lip filled with Limburger cheese. You, you look like you were baptized in pickle juice. Some of you look like you were saved and you're mad about it. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord... Isn't it interesting, Exodus 15, they sang a song of deliverance and they grumbled with bitterness. Two responses to the same thing. Some of you will walk out of here today, and I know the natural course because I've been a Baptist all my life. I know our tribe. You will have fried preacher for lunch. You'll talk about the sermon. You'll talk about the music. You'll talk about your Sunday school class. You'll talk about all these things, and you'll murmur. And some of you will walk out of here, and I pray that you'll remember the words that Emily sang. You'll say, there's a blood and a Savior that wipes away every tear, that leads us to a glorious hope for a future in heaven, that gives us confidence that we have been saved and forgiven and healed. And some of you will walk out of here and say, I can't wait to get back next week. Amen? Why don't we be, Amen. Why don't, we, why don't we determine to be that church? Amen? Today, if the need of your life is to be saved, you come. We'll have encouragers here at the front. Our instrumentalists are coming. Once they're in place, I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite you today to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've never placed your faith in Him and you've walked through this world grumbling about your circumstance, come to Him. It doesn't mean He'll change your circumstance, but He'll change your heart. He'll give you a coping mechanism to deal with it. 
Today, if you need to unite with this church, we're continually praying that God would bring laborers to join us, to link arms with us, to be fed in this place and to be sent out from this place. I pray that the word of God at Hardy Street would pass through you and then pass from you. Let's pray together. Father, I pray today that you would save those that are lost and wandering, that they would be, even now, convicted and drawn to your heart, and that they would have the courage to step up from where they are and step out and take an encourager by the hand and be saved. God, if there's one that needs to unite with the fellowship of this church, give them boldness to do the same, to let them walk forward today. God, we give you glory. Lord, if there's one here today that is prone to grumble, prone to murmur, I pray that they would find themselves at the foot of the cross and even at the altar this morning asking for forgiveness, calibrating gratitude in their heart. And I pray it for all for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, sing. Let God have his way. You do what he's told you to do this morning. Thank you so much for your attendance today and your attentiveness. I pray that God would take this and really shape our hearts in grateful ways. Uh, I have to tell you, when we did our meet and greet time where we say hello and howdy to everyone, Dr. Don Palermo came and found me and he said, when the people least expected, I'm bringing something from the zoo. That made me really nervous. I told him if he brought a spider or a snake that I was going to make a new door somewhere. <laughs> in this place. So I'm keeping an eye on that brother back there. Thank you for being here. I pray that you would have a glorious week in the presence of God. Don't murmur, but worship. Amen. Amen. Tom Smith is our deacon in service this week, and uh, he is our chairman of deacons. He's going to lead us in a word of prayer and dismiss us now.